is it going to rain? Oh man, there are some very dark clouds on my left, but in the west, I can still see the sun that is setting on the horizon. And let me see how the wind is blowing. So the wind comes from the southwest, which would mean that these dark clouds are gonna pass by my town. That's good. I even see some patches of blue sky above me. So we'll, let, we'll just hope for the best. <laughs> I am uh, leaving the square in front of the church and crossing the road here hopefully without getting run over by these cars. And uh, let me take a look at the cherry blossom here. I'm so lucky that right next to the church and next to where I live, there is this small park and it's got a, a whole lot of cherry trees or cherry blossom trees. And this is the week that they are going to bloom. And Right now it's a bit mixed, so part of the um, of the cherry blossom is already there, but there are still some branches where it's about to explode. And now the only thing I hope is that for the rest of the week we will have some sunshine, because then it's it's spectacular. I mean, lots of people go to Japan in order to see a cherry blossom like this, and I have it right next door. Maybe I should honor this uh, spectacle by eating some sushi <laughs> or preparing some uh, Japanese recipes in the next couple of days. I'm so elated. I'm so happy. I just did something that took me literally weeks to find the courage to do. And that is I finally booked my trip to the UK. Uh, this is, of course, linked to um, the Star Wars celebration that will take place in the first week of April. But as I've mentioned in my other podcasts before, I would like to extend my stay a little bit, visit some friends, uh, Michiel and Liz, who live in Leicester. And I was also hoping to find a way to explore London a little bit more outside of the days of the convention because during a Star Wars celebration it's basically all day long and I've never been to London I've never been to the the lower half of uh, of the UK and so for me this is all brand new and exciting um, but also scary and <laughs> this is so weird like I've traveled so much in my life and it's one of my favorite things to do but I prefer to be traveling than to have to travel. There's always a lot of stress when it comes to organizing a trip and booking the tickets and uh, finding hotels and all that. And uh, this is something that has blocked me so often in the past uh, when I had to uh, travel for my television work. Uh, or for vacation and I had to book part of the trip myself I usually love it when other people book the trips for me like when I still was working um, with the editorial team uh, of the television company there was this lady and she loved organizing trips which was fantastic if we had to go to Rome for instance for 
uh, a program about the Pope or the Vatican or something like that. She would just book the hotels, the flights. I would get a full um, list of all the, the, the places, the times, the accommodations where I had to go. And it was so nice to have someone take care of that and someone who actually really enjoyed doing that. <laughs> There's a dog barking up ahead. He's on the balcony and he sees another small white dog on the other end of the street from above. <laughs> so um, I've been really spoiled by that person. But also, I've also learned from her because one of the nice things, so she, her role officially was that of producer. And I always thought that a pro producer was someone who was involved in everything that had to do with the filming, with the, you know, the, someone who is like a producer for Star Wars, or someone who, um, who is on top of the whole process, is kind of like a, um, someone who has a helicopter view over everything that is needed to make a film. Um, but in the television world, in the Netherlands at least, a producer is someone who... Uh, Um, is, is involved in everything that facilitates the filming. So it has nothing to do with the making of television as such, but it's all like booking the trips, uh, calling people for interviews if necessary, making sure that um, you have time to eat and uh, um, if there are any problems, you can call that producer and uh, she'll solve the problems. And oftentimes, of course, during... A, a, tr a trip, especially if you do a, a more high-profile television program, there are moments that you get stuck and um, something goes wrong. And I would always panic when that happened. It's like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? <laughs> we're in the middle of nowhere. Well, we're actually in Rome, but still in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and how do we solve this? And she would always stay super calm She's like, okay, we're going to solve this. Don't worry. Um, let me uh, let me fix this for you. And then she would call me back uh, a while later, and she would have solved the situation. And she told me oftentimes because I admired that. I was like, ah, oh, I wish I could be so much in control. I have a tendency to to panic and to get blocked. You know, I don't know what to do, and I get anxiety and everything. And so I told her like, I. I don't understand how you do this. You're you're so like it seems as if nothing um, worries you. Uh, how do you do that? And she said, you know, I look at it. This is this is why I love this work. She says, this I like solving puzzles. I like to figure out something. And there's there a situation where something goes different from what you expected is never a problem for me. It's a challenge. <laughs> I know it sounds very obvious, but that's what she said. And for me, that was super eye-opening. It's like, wow. So there is a different way to look at the same situation. And instead of having anxiety, you can see it as like, oh, this is fun. Things are going differently from what we thought would happen. And now I have something to do. I can go and try to find a solution. And it's going to be awesome if I find one. So I, I don't know why I still struggle so much 
to adopt that mindset. And I think it is linked to um, very, very deep-rooted feelings of, um, uh, let's say, fear of failure. This has to do, I think, with the way in which I was brought up. And I'm not the only one in our family who has those those issues. I think both my brother and sister struggle with that same with those same feelings of you know uh, insufficiency like it, it has to be perfect and if it's not perfect it's all messed up you know and we panic and we all deal with it in a different way like I'm very good at um, at hiding my anxiety and my uncertainty uh, but that's because I've always worked in a in, a, in an area where you have to project yourself and you don't want people to know that you don't know what you're doing. And so, but despite the fact that I'm very good at um, coming across very, you know, sure of myself and at ease with other people and eager to explore, but what you never see, what I don't project is that, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. This is going to be a disaster. And all those... Um, negative feelings feelings of anxiety that i that i'm fighting on the inside um and there there are times where you know that is easier and i'm more i don't know at ease to take decisions and to uh organize things and there are times where i cannot do a thing you know it's like oh boy it's <laughs> this this perfectionism that that is so paralyzing and uh so th- for for this particular trip i've 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 been literally postponing the the booking and the organization of the trip for months i was like oh this is such a long trip and i've never been to london and it's such a big city and i don't know anything and uh, uh if i do if i if i don't book the right plane or boat it's you know i'm going to not be in time so i i first need to book the the trip and then i can book the hotel but i cannot book the trip if i don't know if there's going to be a hotel so it's like this circle of hell where i'm like running in circles and and i can't i can i don't know where to start and so some, sometimes you, you just need someone else to kind of snap you out of it. And for me, that was thankfully was Michiel, who uh, um, had who has visited me with his wife Liz um, twice now, and he said, if you ever if you're ever in in the UK and you you want to stay a couple of days with us, you know, be welcome. We live in Leicester, so. Um, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that would be wonderful. And that gave me also a little bit of a, you know, at least I I know what else I could do besides the Star Wars celebration. Uh, because for the for the celebration, I had booked the the, the tickets it's themselves and I had found a hotel. Um, and since I booked the hotel very early in advance... Um, it, it's affordable, which is completely impossible if you would book now, because um, well, there are tens of thousands of Star Wars fans descending onto the city, uh, the city of London. So uh, all the hotels have very um, 
have raised their prices. Plus, it's also the Easter weekend, so there is an influx of a lot of tourists around Easter. Um, so I had taken care of that part, but then I was like, okay, but how much time do I want to be in the UK? And, oh, there are so many other things that I need to take care of. Mm, what am I going to do? And then he snapped me out of it. Um, and was it, I think, last week he said, so, so, when are you coming? <laughs> how are you going to get here? Uh, by airplane, by boat? And I was like, my initial immediate uh, thought was, if I travel to the UK, I want to go by boat. Because I, I remember the last time that I traveled to the UK, to Scotland. I went by boat together with uh, Hugo, my cameraman. And I loved the experience. It was so much better than, than going by plane. Airplanes always... Oh, like the trip itself, of course, is very short and easy. But it's all the whole thing around it. You, know, you have to be there like three hours in advance. You have to wait in line because there's not, not enough personnel at the airports anymore. There's always this stress. Am I going to be in time for my flight? And then you land somewhere on the outskirts of, of London, and then you'll have to figure out how to get to your next destination. Ugh. It's not a very relaxed way of traveling, and I don't like airports. And whereas the boat, it was so relaxed. You arrive, like, you can arrive hours in advance. And you walk up the boat. If you have a car, you can bring it along. I, of course, I'm on foot. So I'll just go there by uh, public transport. Um, you can walk up um, the boat and check in, like, three hours before departure. Have a nice meal at a restaurant, which is actually surprisingly affordable. Uh, I think it's, like, 22 bucks for a three-course dinner. That is cheaper than any restaurant here in, in the Netherlands. And it's good food, because uh, uh, we, we did that uh, on our way to Scotland as well. And then, uh, and then you can just walk around outside on the boat. I love those, you know, being outside and, and, and being surrounded by the sea and you see the sunset... And then, uh, the, I don't know, it's, there's, it's, it's such an adventurous way of traveling. And then the next morning, very early, they wake you up, you get off the boat, and then you could either, you know, continue your trip by car, or in my case, I'm going to continue by train. And, uh, and, and so I, I, can, um, I could book, like, a combination ticket that uh, allows me to you know, go to the UK by, by boat. And then you can take any train that goes to a certain number of, of uh, railway stations. And it's all inclusive in the price. And it's a lot cheaper and, of course, a lot easier than if you have to book every train trip individually. So with me, we, we looked at the possibilities and that kind of made it so much more like, okay, I can, I can do this. This is actually not as hard as I thought it was. And, um, and it's so stupid that, like, for weeks I, I'd struggled with, like, oh, but what am, am I going to fly? Am I going to go by boat? How does that work? And is it going to be expensive or not? And 
once I just looked at the website, I was like, wow, this is actually super affordable. And I would say you get a lot more for your money than if you go, go by, uh, by airplane. Because you get to sleep in a bed, you get to eat, <laughs> you have the adventure of the boat. There is a lot less stress. You can take any luggage with you, which is always the problem with, um, with uh, airlines especially the cheaper uh, ones that fly in Europe, is the, the, the ticket itself can be, if you're lucky, can be cheap. But then for every single thing, you have to pay extra. So if, uh, if I want to take um, like a suitcase, immediately you double the price of the ticket. That's why I've often traveled light, just with a tiny little bag, just like two pairs of of clothing for, of everything and, and, and some soap so I could wash my clothes every evening. It was just because otherwise the cost would, uh, would, uh, would rise so quickly. None of that with the boat. You know, it's a big boat. You could take whatever luggage you have. So it's going to be much easier for me to, uh, to bring some equipment with me and, uh, and just a regular, uh, a, a, a regular suitcase or something like that. Anyway, so... So once Michiel got me going, then I was like, okay, but now I need to make a decision as to when I'm going to travel there. And then immediately more paralysis. It's like, but I still don't have the tickets for the celebration. Yes, I've paid for it and I'm registered, but they promised that they would send the physical badges that you need to get into the celebration they would send them my my mail and i still haven't received them so can i even leave can i even book my flight or my 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 trip if i don't have those badges yet and it's another reason and then to not proceed and then i was but, but am i going to first go to to leicester which means i have to go by train to london and then take another train to, to from London to Leicester um, but maybe maybe I, I it's it's going to be too much of a hassle for for them to uh, uh, to host me for 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 a number of days you know I don't want to impose myself so you get all those like doubts about uh, can I do this is this appropriate and, and of course both Mithil and Liz have told me, you know, we don't care. You can stay as long as you want. <laughs> don't worry about it. And yet I do worry because that's that's how I was brought up. To like constantly asking yourself and, and asking yourself again and again and again, am I doing the right thing? Is this appropriate? Uh, should I do something else? So it's the, ah. And my parents were very much, uh, very good at worst-case scenarios. So they would often talk about everything that could go wrong. And my dad was really good at that. And But then you are with several people at once, so that makes it easier. I always have to take every decision by myself, but I still have that same doubt as to, you know, uh, am I doing the right thing? And what if this goes wrong? And what if that goes wrong? And what if everything goes wrong? And then panic, panic, panic. All right, let me just play a video game and not think about this for for another week and i know it's just escapism uh it's 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 a way 
the pro- procrastination, as I've explained before, and I've explained that to myself as well, is all, is not because, you know, I'm lazy or anything or unorganized. No, it's a, it's a way to avoid the friction and the fear and the anxiety. However, I I did it today. I booked everything. Um, and that was thanks to a book that I read yesterday about Stoicism, of all things. Now, Stoicism, of course, is a very old philosophy. Um, you may know the name of Marcus Aurelius, one of the Roman emperors, and he practiced Stoicism. Uh, so it's, it's <laughs> more than 2,000 years old. And if you hear the word Stoicism or Stoic way of living... You may think of, well, that's, that's a, a, a lifestyle where you avoid to feel anything. You know, it's to try to live as emotionless as possible. You're stoic, you know. Whatever happens, I don't care. <laughs> because I'm, I don't have feelings. It's actually not at all like that. It, I, if I could compare it with something more geeky, I would say... This is the misunderstanding that a lot of people have towards Vulcans. You know, like Spock on the Enterprise. Uh, many of the people around him, and Spock is even like half human, half Vulcan. So he's not even a pure Vulcan, but he always comes across as someone who is, you know, never, never worried, never anxious, never stressed, never in love, always, you know... Hmm, fascinating. And it's just, you know, you have these eyebrows and this look like, hmm. (laughs) It's always more observing than than panicking. But the fact is, uh, Vulcans actually do have emotions, but they've learned how to how to not go along with these emotions, not to become one with these emotions, especially stress and, and, and desire and anxiety and anger and all that. And to, to observe these emotions and make a logical judgment. So what do I do with this situation? And so the, the, the art of being a Vulcan is not to repress your, your emotions but to channel them, to make sure that you don't become uh, driven only by emotions, because then logic starts to dissipate. And, and you know, that's exactly what the Stoics were preaching. Stoicism is is a a lot about um, accepting what you feel, accepting the world as it is, accepting the outcome of anything, whether it is winning or losing whether something goes right or something goes wrong it's all neutral it is how you relate to what happens that determines how you feel about it and so um, the, the book that I read was written by a speed skater a Dutch speed skater we have to say we just say skaters in in Dutch, but then in English you think of either like roller skaters or, or skateboarders or, um, you know, ice skaters in a, in a, in a, in a rink, <laughs> you know, for the sports. But in the Netherlands, if you say skater, we think of ice and people 
traveling distances on skates. Anyway, he was a professional speed skater and also an Olympic champion. He won like the gold medal for several distances, I think about, what is it, 13 years ago. But he, he starts his book by, by saying that he was preparing for... Uh, he had been selected for the um, Olympic Games. And he, he overtrained. He was so eager and he was so certain that he was going to win that he, he trained way too much. As a result, he was injured, he was sick, he was miserable once the athletes were, were traveling to the, the Olympic Games and he had to stay home. And it was, of course, a huge disappointment and frustrating if you've been preparing for years. And we're, we're talking about, you know, it's always with these big, big um, athletes, they train for years just to be like five seconds faster than anyone else. So it's a huge investment for um, a challenge that will only last uh, a minute or a minute and a half in some cases. Um, and he talks about that and he said this, this is, he has always been interested in, in philosophy but this really helped him to deal with that failure and disappointment because if you want to stay involved in uh, in the in the world of athletes and sports, um, there's no going back. There's no stopping. So you have to somehow find a way to deal with failure and disappointment because that's part of any athlete's life. And this is how he discovered some basic rules of stoicism that uh, both made him thrive as an athlete. And also helped him to deal with the big changes in his life where he kind of didn't know what to do anymore. And it, it hits such a nerve with me. I've heard these um, principles many times before. You often see them in memes as well. There are lots of self-help books that are based on these principles of stoicism. I'm going to... Uh, I'm in the woods now. But as you can tell, there's still a lot of... Uh, um, traffic here and this is because there's a big uh, highway right above me, well not above me but it's a little bit elevated compared to the woods and uh, this highway connects the city, the town of Ede with the town of Arnhem which is more to the east so there's always a lot of traffic what I'm going to do is I'm going to go underneath the highway, there's a tunnel here and then there is another park, which is actually, I think, the domain of a uh, family that owns a castle and a castle farm. And it's actually a very, very nice park. And it should uh, move me away from the noise of the, of the highway. It's the Baron from Wassenaar. Uh, Wassenaar is a very upscale uh, town in the in the west of the country where a lot of rich people <laughs> live and so apparently the baron who owns this domain 
came from Vossenaar, and this tunnel is named after him. I suppose he's one of the owners or previous owners of the castle. It's not really like a fairy tale castle. It's just a, a nice big building, <laughs> and there is a a, a very um, posh farm next to it as well. And this domain is now, I think, being managed by uh, uh, the Gelders Landschap, which is a, um, an, uh, how do you say that, an organization that uh, takes care of nat- natural reserves. So actually, there's a lot more noise coming from the road than I'm used to, and I think it's because it's rush hour right now. Everybody is, uh, is hitting the road to uh, get home from work. I nice place to run. There are lots of hills here. This is where I ran a half marathon about a, a month and a half ago. And it was tough because uh, you're not walking on, on real roads. This is all like, <laughs> what is it? Uh, wobbly. Um, how does Doctor Who says that? <laughs> Timey-wimey, wobbly uh, roads go in all directions and a lot of them go uphill and downhill so it's a a, a lot more challenging than uh, than a half marathon on uh, on flat surfaces all right i won't talk about running anymore because i know that's for some of you it's like oh please <laughs> not again about running metaphors stop it <laughs> so um i i had what was i saying <laughs> oh yeah, well, we're talking about the the paralysis of and the fear of making decisions uh, and the struggle to kind of let go of those fears and the stoic the stoic principles. Um, what I like about them is that they do something actually very modern. You see it also applied in 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 modern therapy is that you are not your feelings. And so if you are anxious, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Everyone can sometimes panic. and We're all, to a certain extent, traumatized in one way or another because no childhood has been perfect. Um, but in, case, in some cases, it can be really, really debilitating. Um, but you are not your feelings. And so if you can distance yourself from your feelings and observe them without judging them, then sometimes the stress goes down. And so a lot of the things that I've been learning over the past two years have to do with uh, developing reflexes to observing and exploring why I feel the way I feel. Instead of running away from it, which is in a certain way, dissociating me of the, of the stress and of the anxiety. Or, you know, like procrastination is, is in a certain way dissociating you of what needs to be done. Um, and it, it's, a, it's an, an understandable but also very unhelpful mechanism to deal with decision-making and uh, uh, organizing things in your life. So, let's see, I'm just going to continue on this road. There's a small path here, which I think leads to the castle, but 
Um, it's already getting, well, it's not dark yet, but in an hour it will be completely dark. And I don't feel comfortable walking around in the woods without any, you know, LED lights on me. Or um, So the what this skater, a speed skater, learned um, resonated a lot with me. It's like, oh, I totally can... Um, empathize with those feelings of total stress like but you have to perform everybody's looking at you you know you're an olympic champion you cannot afford to fail um it i'm not an an olympic champion but there is often in my mind there's that same pressure like you're not allowed to fail everything has to be perfect um it has an upside this perfectionism because it means that i do my work really really well and um, when it comes to the way um, I manage my household, uh, my house looks nice and I cannot stand it if the kitchen is a mess or, you know, I don't have, um, something is not working. Like there's an old house, so oftentimes things will break and then I'm like, oh, this needs to be fixed. This needs to be perfect. Um, it's the same but the, the advantage is, of course, that uh, my house, in general, looks pretty clean and pretty, uh, you know, well-organized. And there is not much clutter. And uh, it's it's just one of the ways in which I try to keep control over the situation. And But it's also, um, I think, has to do with that fear of hmm, things not being perfect and things going wrong so everything in my kitchen is super organized I know everything in my house has a place this is how I can clean up very quickly because if I let's say I've been cooking for an hour like I've, I've, done, I've done actually I've been cooking for three hours the other day I think was it on Sunday I think I think it was so I had to make, uh, make some uh, uh, pea soup and a salad for, for multiple days and some, there were just some vegetables that I needed to process process because they were starting to uh, to spoil and so I spent three hours cooking different dishes and the kitchen afterwards was a total mess and I figured you know what I don't want to wake up on Monday morning walk into the kitchen and see this mess so I'm going to clean it up now you know what I'm just going to do something that I've learned from a TikTok video which was really cool there was this young lady and she said, whenever I need to clean the kitchen in the evening, I have this playlist on Spotify and it's called Medieval Lo-Fi Music. So it's not truly medieval music, but kind of this has a bit of this, this fantasy vibe to it with a low beat. It's, it's artificial music, but it, it gives the, it creates an atmosphere of you know, the Middle Ages. And then she says, when I'm cleaning the kitchen, I imagine that I'm actually the owner of a of a tavern in the Middle Ages or in some fantasy world. And we're closing down for the evening and I'm cleaning up the, ca- the tavern. And uh, I was like, well, that is such a cool idea to theme these day-to-day jobs where you clean up something. I mean, what's more boring than cleaning the kitchen or or folding the laundry but what if you turn it into a story and that's what she did 
she created this narrative just by putting on some music that she actually was clean was cleaning the tavern for for adventurers that would visit the next day <laughs> great idea so that's what i did and i was surprised at how quickly i could clean the kitchen and it's thanks to this trick that i've learned um where you make sure that there is a specific location for every single spoon or fork or pan or, or whatever um, condiments as well ingredients spices every single single place every single item has a specific place and so for me cleaning is just um, bringing these items back to where they belong which is so much less stress than if you have to decide where am I going where am I going to put this um, so anyway but it's also this kind of drive that I don't want chaos around me to um, uproot my life. <laughs> I need to have control. And when, whenever I need to do something new or something that I haven't done in a long time, like for instance, making new videos, uh, starting to edit again, I have not done any serious editing for months now. And then there is this kind of... I feel a bit anxious to start again. Anxious in a bad way. <laughs> like blocked. Because, man, what if I have forgotten how to do this? Or how can I... <laughs> what if the video doesn't really appeal anymore? What if I've lost my, my touch <laughs> in editing? Um, and so I keep procrastinating. Well, you know what? I can do that next tomorrow or the day after tomorrow and but it's all trying to avoid uh friction it's in it's it's rooted in that same fear of failure and not being good enough um this uh this book was also talking about these moments where you don't know anymore what to do next and you start to panic because everything you've done before is now the past and you don't you are no longer able to compete on an olympic level so this is what happened to him when he turned i don't know 35 36 he was kind of a late bloomer when it comes to sports and so he's been successful at a much later age than most of his peers that also meant that his retirement came much faster because if you start really young uh, with a successful sports career then uh, you, you have your time to enjoy it to train to get better he felt like I've just started and I'm already getting too old for this and so at one point in his career he just he tried to win some uh, challenges and it and failed and, and just felt like I cannot do this anymore I don't have the stamina of all these young people that are competing with me so this is the moment where I have to stop. And <laughs> what am I going to do next? It can't be a career in sports. So he was a clueless. <laughs> and he had some ideas about maybe um, as an entrepreneur, starting a business. But he didn't have much experiences, experience there. And it's, again, there, uh, thanks to stoicism, that he realized well you know what the thing that's holding me back 
is this fear of something new. I know how to skate. I don't know how to run a business. But if I stay in where I am now and because of I do, because I'm I'm afraid to to fail in this new phase in my life, then I also don't learn anything. What if I just give myself permission to explore this new career and also give myself permission to fail at it? Because it's very very well possible that something that I kind of have imagined and thought out in my head, once I start applying it and you have to deal with you know, workers that you need to hire and the market situation, um, maybe even your own lack of experience, that a lot of that will initially go wrong. But he was like, well, <laughs> one of the things that Sto Stoicism teaches us is... Failure is an integral part of getting better. And this is even true on a physical level um, in, for any type of sport. If you want to get stronger, it means that you have to, you have to break something. Uh, for instance, if you want to get bigger muscles, you have to tear them apart, literally. That is what these high-intensity sports and weightlifting etc what that does and to a certain extent also oh i won't talk about talking walking anymore but if you want to get bigger uh bigger muscles you 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 try to lift something that is actually a little bit too heavy and then you get these micro tears in your in your muscles but once they heal they become stronger Because you signal your body, hey, I need some extra muscle for this. And so your body will respond by providing you with that extra muscle. And so all resistance training, weightlifting, endurance sports, all based on, on, on and this, to a certain extent, not being enough. And it is because you don't have enough strength that your body starts to uh, improve. So if you always train where it's always easy. You never want to lift more than, I don't know, two pounds of weight. You're never going to have extra muscles because, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're not challenging yourself. And while I was reading that, I, it clicked. I was like, this is, this is my problem. Uh, I often procrastinate and I don't do things or I don't take decisions because I'm afraid that things will go wrong and I have this whole domino mechanism built in thanks to my parents and to a certain extent where I catastrophize it's like not only do I think of what if this goes goes wrong no I think ahead like months in the future because everything will collapse if I don't do this thing perfectly which is of course not true But that's how my mind works. And so what I, what I discovered in this book is by giving yourself permission to fail, you give yourself permission to grow. And if I translate this to uh, my spiritual life and, the, and your walk in faith, who are the people that will never become saints? It's very simple. It's, it's it, the least likely people that will ever become saints are the people that think they already are. 
people that think that they have to project to the world and tell themselves that they are already perfect because they're robbing themselves from the occasion to mess up and to receive forgiveness and grace where God comes to your rescue. God cannot work with you if you don't need him. If you're self-sufficient, if you do everything perfectly, I mean, God will stand by and, <laughs> and will just uh, assume that you, you can do without him. Um, and of course, God is always on standby because there is also always going to be a moment where you cannot uh, pretend to be perfect anymore. If, if you tell yourself that you don't have sins, that you don't mess up, that you don't fail, you're lying to yourself. Even the apostles had, had huge failures and, and shortcomings in their character, in the decisions that they made, um, in their relationships to other people. And the only one who is truly without sin is Jesus. And through his grace, Mary, his mother. But they understand failure and they understand uh, being powerless. Because both Jesus and Mary have gone through this, this passion, uh, the suffering of Jesus and feeling completely powerless. Jesus, the Son of God, who is crucified, is hanging there and he's unable to save himself. And, and, and the Romans even remind him, the bystanders, they tell him, you know, aren't you the Messiah? Go save yourself. And Mary, his mother, who of course has carried Jesus, was called to be with him, to protect him, to, to educate him as a mother. There's nothing worse than to have to let go of your son and to see that he's being tortured and and ridiculed and even killed. It's complete powerlessness. But these two people are the become the most powerful people in in the universe because they receive grace from God. Jesus rises from the dead thanks to his father. And Mary is is brought with Jesus to he, to uh, to heaven, body and soul, because God wants his mother to be safe and to be um, to not have to wait until the end of times to to join fully in the resurrection of her of her son. So even on a spiritual level, this is true failure should never stop us um, in our in our growth uh, on the contrary um, failure if you bring it to God if you accept it and own it instead of running away from it or rationalizing it those moments of failure are the moments where you grow the, the fastest this is why the Catholic Church has confession it's not punishment. It's not something that we, that we have to go tell you how bad you are. And it's the total opposite is when you feel frail, when you feel down, when you are afraid and anxious because you messed up and you feel that you, you've let 
yourself down, you've let the people around you down, you've let God down. That's where God embraces you and tells you, you know what? Let me go get you some new clothes. Let me put a ring on your finger. Let me let us go and and uh, prepare some food because you were dead and now you're alive again. This is this is the story of the prodigal son, which I think is emblematic for this whole dynamic of if you fail, and the prodigal son failed hard, this can be an occasion if you return to God and if you if you accept that you failed and you own it, then God will take care of you and he will make you stronger. And while I was thinking about these connections between Stoicism and... Uh, and faith and my own personal life that somehow all of a sudden created a surge of courage and I told myself um, I finished reading the book late in the evening so I didn't have time to uh, do anything but I I knew that today the next day I would take all the decisions when it comes to my trip and that's what I did and I Still felt the resistance, like, oh man, there's so much what I'm going to do. And instead of panicking and procrastinating, I explored this feeling. So what, what is blocking me here? What am I afraid of? Okay, so it's indecision about your stay before the Star Wars celebration. What are you going to do with your time? You know that you're welcome with your friends. So don't. So that's not something that you should rationally worry about but you have this you have this desire that maybe you should do more than just go to Leicester um, there, there is this, this kind of deep desire to maybe explore London for a couple more days but you can't do that during the Star Wars celebration what if I stay in London for a couple of days. Oh, but then I feel like, oh my gosh, that's going to complicate matters even more because then I have to find another hotel and oh, it's probably going to be very expensive and far away. Like but the hotel that I have during the Star Wars celebration is like super far away from the city center. So I'm like, oh man, no, that's not possible. And I tried to correct myself. It's like, well, you know what? You don't know that. That's just catastrophizing. Why don't you see it as a challenge? Think of that producer lady who if you went to her and said hey I'm going to Rome for to film a documentary can you find me a hotel not too far from the Vatican and she would just like oh I'd love to and then she would just go and and research and then within a couple of hours she had organized everything that's what I did I was like okay I'm just going to channel her her way of of dealing with this and it's going to be fun I'm going to I'm going to find what so something so I, I looked on Expedia and then of course it it I looked at hotels not too far from the center of London because those first days I would like to um explore the kind of the 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 famous things in London I've never been there so I don't I don't want to have to travel like 2 hours before I'm anywhere near the uh, the, the London Bridge or Westminster Abbey or stuff like that. So I do a search for hotels near the center of London and woof, 
first few hotels is like 1600 for three days or three nights uh 2000 for three nights but so uh, okay let's do let's reorganize this list let's look for low prices and then you get all the like the hostels where you have to sleep in a big room with like uh, multiple bunk beds and shared showers. I was like, no, no, yeah, that's cheap, but no, let's not do that. <laughs> oh, there's a car coming from behind me. Let me just go to the side here. Oh wait, I can just walk on the on the lane for the bikes here through the woods. As a concrete, it's actually much nicer to walk here. <laughs> um, so. Uh, let me then combine like low prices and vicinity to the city center and then all of a sudden i find a couple of hotels that are all around the what is it 65 euros per night all inclusive including taxes even which is you know for london for the city center of london it's really affordable even in 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 rome you would pay something around that price and then oftentimes i would stay in like terrible hotels in rome so i'm used to always sleeping i don't really care uh about the quality of the hotel as long as i have a place to stay because most of my days are outside anyway so i find this hotel and they have three nights still available a one person room for i think 65 euros per night and I looked through the reviews and there are lots of people complaining oh, it was cold in the room and we didn't have warm water and and but also people that said yeah this was fine people are very nice and I was okay well what 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 can possibly go wrong I just I'm going to book this it's really cheap I'm I'm right near Hyde Park you can't get any better location uh, than, than, than in that area so I have a place to go out for a walk there are lots of nice restaurants in the area I'm very close to the, the rest of the center it, it, I mean it's all relative of course because it's a big city but, um, and it's close to a railway station so it's easy for me to go f- f- by train right there to the center of London and walk to the hotel it's perfect so that's what I did I booked those three nights and then I contacted Michiel I said you know what I'm going to be with you on Friday I'll travel to Leicester and then if if possible I would like to stay until the the day before the Star Wars celebration begins and then I was like okay am I going to stay a little bit longer in London after the Star Wars celebration no no because I know how I will feel I will have the blues I always have that um once everybody goes home, you don't want to stay there because the only thing you're going to feel is uh, the the lack of friends and you're all alone and everybody goes home and you're still there. <laughs> no. I had that in Rome um, when I went to the canonization of John Paul II and uh, uh, Pope John uh, the 23rd. You... you the, the lead up to the event on St. Peter's Square is fantastic. And you're like, everybody is, the city is like bubbling and it's, oh, I'm so excited. It's going to be amazing. And then you have that big celebration on Sunday. And then I had two more days in Rome and everybody was gone. And all my colleagues 
of the television had gone home as well. And I'm there in Rome, which is not a shabby place to be. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? Why am I here? <laughs> Why didn't I go home? <laughs> I don't want to be here by myself. So with that in mind, I also booked the way uh, back, the, the, the boat back to home um, after the Star Wars celebration, which has the added advantage that I will be back home in the middle of the week. So I'll have a couple more days to um, readjust before the weekend where I have to uh, uh, serve in, in the parish. Uh, what time is it right now? It's already, oh, we're already uh, approaching the end of our, of our walk here. So, but once I had everything in place, everything organized, I felt so empowered and I told myself, you know, this is how it feels to allow yourself to fail. And even if, if something goes wrong, <clears throat> like when you're booking, you could also do like a, uh, an insurance in case you get sick or whatever. You pay, what is it, 16 bucks. Oh, train. Very fast intercity train in a tunnel. Yeah, that's loud. <coughs> so I'm again now going under another tunnel. I'm on the on the uh, on my side of the of the highway again. But I felt so good and so proud. Like I've done this was so much easier than I thought it was. But I had to get rid of that anxiety to do something wrong. And <laughs> I, I'm going to write this down in my journal. As an example, the next time I have to organize a trip, I'm going to look up how I felt and which, which steps I did to um, get rid of that anxiety of taking decisions. And especially, I think the biggest uh, lesson learned here for me is once you allow yourself to make mistakes and to mess up uh, that's without risk no risk no what is it no risk no reward no risk no glory that's exactly it no no pain no reward no no failure no redemption in a certain way and the more I know that once I've done this and already now I feel much more at ease the next time I want to go to to London because I've already booked and it's a lot easier and also more affordable than I thought it was. Um, and so all the stories that I told myself, like, oh, it's going to be impossibly complicated and expensive and how to do this, it's all gone. And in hindsight, it's like, well, what was I worried about? Um, and I think that this is, this is what gives me a lot of joy. Um, that's why I'm so elated right now. Like, I... I I did this all by myself. <laughs> I can do this. I don't have to be anxious about these big decisions anymore. All right, let's make some more uh, trips. Let's see if this year I can go to a number of other places because it's one of those... Um, this is probably material for another episode of The Walk, but <clears throat> um, a few days ago I made a list of all the things that I, uh, that I felt I had to do and then I made a list of what are the priorities in my life. 
What are the things that are actually necessary and good for me? And then what are the things that are on that first to-do list that I, th- I just think that people want me to do? But is that actually true? That was such a helpful exercise. Because I discovered that what was on top of my priority list wasn't even work-related. Like, number one was, I want to make sure I get my energy back. And so I, my number one priority is taking good care of my health, my spiritual life, my sleep. Number two was friends. I want to invest in friendships. I want to make sure that I meet people, that I am among people. Uh, That too, you know, connecting with other people is often so much, has always been an issue for me. I, I thought it was just because I was an introvert, which I still am. But a lot of that introverted nature, I think, stems from, again, this inability or this fear to fail in my relationships and my friendships, to not be good enough. Well, I've, I've, I've felt last year that just how, how much um, it means for me to have friends, uh, to go to these fantasy festivals, to meet my Star Wars friends. It's not all just, you know, like friends that I talk to every day. Um, but it's also to have these, these fellow geeks and people that I identify with and, and, and uh, that I admire and can learn from. And being among them is, is just doing me so, so much good. So th- that's something I want to prioritize. I'm not going to tell myself that, oh, it's too, too much of a hassle to go to all these festivals. No, I go to these festivals because that's where I meet my friends. This is the main reason that I go to the Star Wars Celebration. It's not because I, I need to be uh, informed about the future of Star Wars or anything. I want to be among my friends that are going to be there as well. The third thing I put on my priority list, again, still not work-related, is I want to travel. I want to create memories, like I explained in one of the previous episodes of The Walk, because I still have the ability to travel now. I have the health, I have the time, and I also have the resources to travel a bit. So... uh, do it. I have to do it now. I want to do it now. I long to go back to New Zealand. I'm going to go to New Zealand. I want to go back to Scotland. I'm going to Scotland. I want to go back to Rome and Italy. I'm going to do that. I want to go and walk the Camino again. Maybe not the entire Camino, but at least part of it. I'm going to do that. I'm going to just allow myself to go on these journeys because they enrich my life. They give me material for my stories And they give me an opportunity to share them with you. And then number four and five were work-related. And it was in the order of... And I'll expand upon this uh, maybe next time. It was, okay, so what do I need to do to uh, be able to continue this work? Well, the first, my first obligation is cater to you. My loyal audience that also supports me financially... I want to show up for you every single time. No exceptions. And then the second one is, okay, 
the amount of patrons that I currently have is still not enough to cover all costs. We do have a bit of a buffer, but we won't if we continue this way. So I need to find some additional sources of income and revenue. And so the most, the, the quickest way to do this is to create a few documentaries and sell them to a broadcasting company here in the Netherlands. Um, so that that is, those five things are my priorities. That's what I'm going to focus on. So this trip to London in a certain way is part of my five priorities. And, uh, and all the rest, it's optional. When I have time, when I have energy, when I have inspiration. But if I don't work on my health, I won't have the energy. <laughs> if I don't expand my horizon, I won't have any stories to tell. So um, it was super clear all of a sudden. And that's what I wanted to share with you during this episode of The Walk. Thank you so much for the privilege of your time. We'll talk soon. And uh, I'm really looking forward to sharing with you my trip to the UK. Follow me on social media um, via Father Roderick. And uh, if you want to become a patron, and I would really love it if you could join that community with a small micro donation. doesn't have to be much. Um, take a look at patreon.com slash fatherrodrick. All right, we'll talk soon. Take care and God bless.